Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. y'all. Good morning. How we doing? Pretty good. All right, let's go uh, Romans chapter four. That wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, Romans chapter four. I'll be hanging out there this morning. Actually, we're just going to leave that there. Um, So one of my favorite things uh, that I get to do is brag on college students to people who don't get to spend a lot of time with college students. And here's why. We have this national pastime of lacking faith in the next generation, right? Um, and it's not you, it's, it's every generation ever uh, coming up, we just tend to lack faith in them because we don't quite understand them, right? So when I graduated college, um, I saw all these articles about millennials and how millennials were just the worst, right? Millennials with our avocado toast and our participation trophies and, you know, all that stuff, right? Everyone was like, millennials are going to be the worst generation of all time. And we haven't been the worst. We're we're not great, but we have our potential, right? But now the whole kind of shift is now to you guys. It's like, oh, Gen Z, graduating college, coming up next. And everyone's like, Gen Z, with their snap streaks and their TikTok dances and their COVID parties, right? There's like all these things that people see and there's, and there's this kind of like, ah, is this next, gen, gen, next generation going, going to be the worst? And so I love getting to brag on the next generation because I actually get to do life alongside you guys. And so I love getting to tell people who don't know you, man, this next generation is actually not gonna be the one that ruins the world, they're going to be the one that actually can change it. Like, because they're, they're passionate and they're creative and inventive and they're committed. I mean, if you've ever tried to do a TikTok dance, like those things are hard to learn, right? Like, I mean, they are like committed to like doing things, right? Like they are passionate about whatever they put their mind to. And so I love getting to kind of step in and, and kind of brag on college students because when we don't really understand something, we tend to lose faith. We tend to lack faith in the things that we don't quite understand. And I tell you that because we have a faith problem as believers as well. And more specifically, oftentimes we look at our God and we know that we're supposed to have faith in who he is, but we see the way that he operates and it doesn't make sense to us. We don't quite understand why he does the things that he does. We don't quite understand why he moves the way that he moves. And so we just tend to lose faith, right? And maybe you find yourself in that place. Maybe you find yourself in a place where this season or this year has not gone down the way that you thought that it would. Or maybe you kind of look at life and God has allowed some things to happen in your life or maybe God has done some things in your life that you don't quite understand. It doesn't make sense to you. And you're looking at your life and you're thinking, God, I don't actually know if I can trust you. I don't actually know if, if you are worthy of my faith. And so the question that I wanna ask us today is how do we remain faithful when we've lost faith in God? 
how do we remain faithful when we've lost faith in God? Because I think that oftentimes that's so easy to lose, it's so easy to lose faith. And maybe you are there or maybe you will go through a season like this. And so the way that we're, we're gonna answer this question is we're gonna read a passage in Romans 4. And Paul is going to use uh, this kind of illustration or this picture of a guy named Abraham as kind of the model for faith. But, but through this, my hope is that we can come to a place where we understand how to remain faithful when we've lost faith in God. So that's where we're going today. Now, before we kind of dive in, I want to clarify a couple things. Um, if you know me, I love definitions. I think definitions matter. Um, and so words have definitions and those matter. So I want to define what I mean when I say faith. Because I think faith is, a, is this kind of Christianese term that we, that we can kind of throw out there. Um, so I want to make, make sure that we're on the same page. And so when I say faith, I'm talking specifically um, about this. Faith is being fully convinced that God will do what he promises. Faith is being fully convinced that God will do what he promises. And we'll actually see that uh, definition come straight out of our passage in Romans. Now, let me clarify something. Oftentimes, when we talk about faith in the church, we use the words faith and belief interchangeably, right? We think that faith and believing are the exact same thing, and they're actually not. They're, they're similar, but they're very um, different, and it's really important for us to um, understand that. So but let me explain it like this. Um, a really, br- really brilliant pastor um, on our staff named Tyler Durham uh, illustrates it like this. He says to think of it like someone walking a tightrope, right? So um, this is a picture of a guy named Philippe Petit, and he is arguably the greatest tightrope walker in the history of the world. This is him uh, walking a tightrope between the twin towers of the World Trade Center in 1974. So he's walking between between two skyscrapers, right? And he does it like like he is like famously known for being able to walk between skyscrapers that's crazy right now imagine that he walks across these two skyscrapers and he walks up to you and says hey do you believe that i can walk this tightrope again do you believe that i can walk back the other way belief would say yeah yeah i've i've seen you do it i i believe that you can walk back to the other tower if he were to say okay then hop on my back if you were to say yes to that, that would be faith, right? Belief is an intellectual assent. That, yeah, I intellectually believe that you can. Faith says, I am convinced that you will, right? I am convinced that you will do what you say you will do so much so that I'm willing to bank my life on it, right? So, so when we're talking about faith today, I'm not talking about this kind of intellectual understanding that God can do certain things. I'm ta- talking about a deep faith that we believe, that we are fully convinced that God will do everything that he promises to do. Now, here's the problem. That type of faith, the type of faith that you can bank your life on, is challenging. That's extremely difficult to get to a place where we're willing to bank our life on the idea that God will do what he promises. And it's challenging for two specific reasons. And so I want to break down uh, really quick the two challenges for why this type, type of faith is so hard. And so the first challenge is this, is that um, sometimes God's promises seem impossible. That sometimes God's promises seem absolutely impossible. Um, let me show you what I mean. Uh, look at verse 18 of chapter 4 of Romans 4. It says this. It says, in hope... He believed against hope that he should become the father of many, 
many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be, right? So he says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of nations, right? Now, let me provide some back, background to what Paul's t- talking about here. Paul is picking up in the middle of an illustration um, about this guy named Abraham. And so if you are unfamiliar with the story of Abraham, um, in Genesis 12, um, God comes to Abraham, um, not because Abraham did anything inherently righteous or moral. He just graciously chooses this man and says, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to promise as a part of this covenant that you are going to be the father of nations. And he says, and that the world will be blessed through your family line. Like, that's a pretty cool promise, right? The guy comes to you directly and says, I'm going to bless the world through your family line. Now, here's the problem. Abraham does not have a child. In order to be the father of nations, you need to have a child that eventually makes other children and then they make more, right? Like, that's kind of how nations become a thing. But Abraham doesn't have a child, and he's 75 years old. He's 75 years old. I'm not sure if you're aware of how fertility works. Feel free to ask a nursing student after this. But um, essentially, 75 years old, like that's a long shot, right? That seems absolutely impossible, right? And so, and so what Paul is saying, saying here is that, okay, if we understand the story of, of Abraham, this is this incredible picture of faith because Abraham is told a promise, and in hope, he believed against hope. I mean, in faith, he, he had faith despite the fact that the promise that God was making him seemed absolutely impossible. And so for us, this is an important thing for us to understand because our God has not promised you and I unless you've had a very, very, sorry guys, this, this has been a long day. Unless God has had a very different conversation with you. God has not promised us a child in old age. Um, but God has made promises in uh, his word to us, right? So let me give you a couple examples. And, and of, oftentimes those pro- promises seem absolutely impossible. So an example is this. Um, all throughout scripture, God promises that there is purpose in our pain, right? All throughout scripture, God promises that our pain has a purpose to it. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, one is this, James 1, 2 through 3 says, says this. It says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What, what James is saying is, hey, count it joy when you experience trials of, of, of various kinds. Why? Because you know that when you experience suffering, when you experience pain, it's producing something. God's doing something in your life. It's produced, like it has a purpose to the pain. In 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Paul says, says this. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Right? Day by day, it is being renewed. God is doing something productive in our life. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What Paul is saying is, hey, when you experience pain, when you experience suffering, don't lose heart because God is doing something. God is doing something. It is renewing you. It is producing something of depth, right? Like these are promises that we see all throughout scripture. Here's the problem though. If you've ever walked through a season of pain, 
If you've ever walked through real suffering, then you know that you sit back and you think, that seems impossible. It seems absolutely impossible that God could do something with this. It seems impossible that God could, could, could do anything positive with, with what's going on in my life. Like, that, like that's ridiculous. My senior year of college, my dad died out of the blue. Unexpectedly. No one saw it coming, didn't get to say goodbye. And as I navigated the rest of my senior year, my family uh, was grieving. We had so many questions about how we were going to make ends meet, if I could stay in school, what we were going to do about the house. There were all these things that we didn't plan for, we, we didn't prepare for. And there were nights that I would lay awake and say, God, I know what you've promised us. I know that you've promised that you're doing something. I know you've promised us that there's purpose in our pain. But God, I, I don't see it. God, I don't see any scenario where this has any purpose to it at all. But I was wrong. Because when I look back 10 years now, what I see is that that was one of the most purposeful seasons of my entire life. That so much of who I am, so much of who I became, so much of my faith and, and how I understand God, like that came from that time. God very much had a purpose in the pain. And so I say all of that because maybe it's not this, maybe it's something else, but maybe you find yourself in places where you read the word of God, that you look at the promises of God and you say that that's impossible. God, I know that you say you're going to do those things, but I just don't believe it. And what Paul is saying here, what, what makes Abraham's story so profound is that this is a guy who had every reason to say it's impossible. You cannot have a child at 75 years old. You cannot be the father of nations at 75 years old. That's just impossible. He says, but in faith, he believed, he had faith, even though what God promised was impossible. Possible, and he got to see God keep his word. He got to see God be exactly who he says he was. Right? And so maybe for you, the challenge for your faith is that some of the promises you see in scripture, that in scripture they just seem impossible. But let me talk about the second challenge. The second challenge is this. So that sometimes God doesn't fulfill his promises in our timing. So that sometimes God doesn't fulfill his promises his uh, promises in our timing. Uh, look down at verse 19. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, um, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced the guy was able to do what he had promised. Um, I love the way that Paul writes it here. He, he says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, right? Like what a way with words, right? But what Paul is saying is this. He says, um, Paul, or, uh, Abraham had every opportunity to weaken in faith specifically because if you notice, he says 100 years old. Well, a minute ago, I said 75. And that's because when God shows up initially, 
He says, I'm going to bless you, your family line. Like, I'm going to give you a son, and your family line will bless the world. God waited 25 years to fulfill that. It's not like God showed up, made a promise, and then he waited nine months. No, he waited 25 years. And what Paul is saying is, man, Abraham's story, again, is profound because he had every reason to be like, God, God, you kind of said that you would, and you haven't. He says, yet, despite the fact that he was 100 years old, he did not weaken in faith. When God was slow, when God did not move at the speed with which Abraham wanted him to move. And I think for us, one of the challenges for us to be a people of faith is that oftentimes God does not move at the speed with which we desire him to move. Is that God says that he will fulfill his promises, but he doesn't do it in our timing, right? Again, let me give you a couple examples. Um, I'm big on justice. And Psalm 37 has been a really uh, profound promise over the years. It says this. It says, fret not yourself, or don't worry, don't fret, because of evildoers. Don't be envious of those who do wrong, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Instead, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Make faithfulness your friend. Make it your companion. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And th- th- this is huge. It says, commit yourself, or, or commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. And he will bring forth your righteousness in the light, and your justice as the noon day. Right? What, what God's saying in this text is that we are not to be jealous or envious of those who do evil, those who do wrong. When, when, when we see an injustice play out in the world, what he says is, hey, commit your way to me, trust me, and I'm going to act. I will move. I will bring justice. Yet if you've ever been in a place where you've seen justice or injustice play out, there's something in us that says, God, I don't want to wait for you to fulfill that. I want you to do that now. God, they're, they're getting away with it. God, I want you to do something now. Right? When, when I was in school, one of the most grievous injustices I ever experienced was when someone in a group project didn't do any work. You know what I mean, right? And specifically, when, when, when you see someone show up and they contribute absolutely nothing, but they get the same A that you get because you actually did the work, right? Like that's, like that's unjust. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, you are that person. And we will have people up here who will pray for your souls because... I'm questioning your salvation up here, right? No, like, like we, can, we can joke about stuff like that, right? But when you find yourself in a place where you have been deeply wounded, when you've been hurt, when someone has taken something from you that did not belong to them, and we read passages like this that God is going to bring justice, that God is going to act, that God is going to be swift in those things, And when we don't see God move, we think, God, what are you doing? God, you cannot be trusted. God, I don't trust you. God, I don't don't have have any faith in you because you said you would act and you haven't acted. God, why won't you act? And this could be anything that we see in Scripture. When we see God make a promise to us, we want him to do it now. We don't want to wait. And again, what makes the story of Abraham so profound 
is that he did not weaken in faith when he considered his body, which was as good as dead, meaning he did not weaken in faith when it took God 25 years to do what he said that he would do. And so again, maybe your um, kind of hurdle, your little obstacle between you having faith in God is that you just want God to move at your speed and not his. So what do we do with this? I mean, maybe you're in here and you think, man, I, I, I wanna have faith. And I, I, wanna, I wanna believe that God is who he says he is. I wanna believe that God fulfills his promises to us, but man, they seem like a long shot or man, like God's just slow and I don't really know if I can trust a God that doesn't move that fast. Like, I mean, what do we do? How do we become a people of faith? I wanna give you one simple yet really difficult challenge and it's this. We need to learn to trust. We need to learn to trust. If you look, look back at verse 20, Paul says, says this. He says, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. No distrust made him waver. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. What Paul is saying is that the more that Abraham trusted the more that Abraham um, made space to kind of trust God and to actually trust that God would do what he says, the more that he just gave glory and honored him as he waited, as he trusted, his faith began to grow because that's how our faith grows. Our faith grows when we actually give someone the opportunity. And sometimes that requires space, but when we give someone the opportunity to do what they say they will do, that's how our faith grows. And I'll explain it like this. If you ever went on a date in high school, you've seen faith in action, and here's why. Because no father inherently trusts a high school dude to take care of his daughter, even for an hour, right? Why? Because he used to be a high school dude. So if anything, he has all the more reason to not trust the guy, right? Yet every good father knows that if he wants his daughter to grow, if he wants his daughter to experience healthy relationships, he has to have a level of trust. And so what happens is that he might not trust this kid, but every time he allows this guy to take his daughter on a date, and every time that she comes home feeling loved and cherished, respected, honored, every time that happens, his faith in this guy grows. And over time, the more this happens, the more that he gets to see that this high school kid is exactly who he says he is, the more he sees that take place, eventually the father has enough faith to allow his daughter to be in relationship with this guy or maybe even marry him, right? Why? Because there's, there's this need for the space. There, there's this need to say, hey, you know, I don't trust you right now, but my only option is just to give you a chance to be who you say you are. And our faith works the exact same way. Oftentimes we read stuff in scripture and we don't allow the space to, to let God do what he says that he would do. We just immediately say, I don't, I don't trust you. But when we take a step back, when we allow God to, to fulfill his promises in his own timing, then we get to see God be exactly who he says he is. And so the question that I wanna leave you with is this, like what areas do you need to trust? What areas do you need to trust God? Because maybe you just haven't actually let God do what he said that he would do. Like what areas of your life are you not trusting God? 
Maybe it's provision. It's no lie that 2020 has been a really hard economic year for a lot of folks. And maybe uh, provision is just um, something new that you're having to walk through. Right? And maybe you read passages like Matthew 6, where Jesus says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink because you are God. He clothes the grass of the field and he feeds the birds of the air. And if he feeds the birds, then what makes you think that he's not going to feed you? No, no, trust in him. Like, have faith in him because your heavenly father knows what you need and he's going to make sure that you're taken care of. Maybe you read passages like that and in the moment, man, that, that brings peace and nourishment to your soul and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna trust that God's gonna provide. But then you get the tuition check, right? Or your friends wanna go out to eat and you're like, I can't hang like that right now. I can't do all those things. And maybe there's, there's, there's just something in you that's longing for God to provide and you don't know how he's going to provide. Maybe it's provision. What does it look like to actually in this time say, all right, God, you said that you will provide for my needs. I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna trust that you're going to, to, to do that. Maybe it's justice. Again, maybe someone has hurt you. Maybe someone has wronged you and, and everything in you just wants God to move. And you're tempted to take matters into your own hands. You're tempted to take vengeance. And God said, no, no, step back. Trust that I'm gonna take care of it. Trust that I'm gonna act, that I'm going to move, that I'm gonna keep my promises. Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe you are in a season where you are overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with fear. You just feel alone. And you read the word of God and you see passages that say that we should not be anxious about anything. That we should not fear because our God is near to us. That he's our ever-present our ever present help in times of trouble and pain. Maybe you hear that God is near to the brokenhearted and you read these promises of God and you say, God, I don't feel it. God, I'm afraid, I'm anxious, I'm alone, I'm depressed. God, where are you? What's the areas that you need to trust God? Because here's the hard part about this. This is gonna require waiting. The hardest part about faith is that oftentimes for us to see God fulfill the things that he says that he will do, it requires us to wait. And we hate waiting. Waiting feels passive. Waiting feels lazy. We live in a culture where it's like, if you want something done, you, you do it yourself. You don't sit around and wait for God to show up. You don't wait around for, for, for God to move. No, no, you make it happen yourself. And so what oftentimes happens is that we don't get to see God move or get to see God fulfill what he says that he would do because we get tired of waiting on God and we just take matters into our own hands. Let me just tell you, when we take matters into our own hands, it very rarely ever plays out well. In fact, there was a, a part of Abraham's story where during that 25-year waiting period, Abraham got antsy, and, and he said, I'm going to help out God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to help make this thing happen. So he went and slept with his wife's servant, thinking that was God's plan for giving him a child. And God was very clearly like, mm, that's not my plan. I need you to keep waiting. 
right? And so for us, oftentimes there is this, this sense of, man, I, I don't want to wait, but when we do, when we choose to wait, what happens is we get to watch God actually fulfill his promises. We get to actually see God do what he said he would do in our lives. And if you don't believe me, just look at the cross. Look at the cross, because here's why. When God told Abraham that I'm going to bless the world through your family line, he wasn't lying. It took 2,000 years for him to keep that promise, for that to come to fruition. But 2,000 years later, a man was born in the family line of Abraham named Jesus. And what Jesus did is he came and he reconciled our broken relationship to God by laying down his life for us on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, we are now saved, we are now justified, we are now made right with God. And that's a long time to wait on God. I mean, for hundreds of years, the prophets and all these folks would write in the scriptures and they would, they, they would long for God to send someone to save and redeem and make right what, what's been uh, broken by sin. There's been all these moments in time when people cried out to God and said, God, are you even there? God, are you gonna fulfill your promise to us? It took 2,000 years, but God did it. God fulfilled his promise through Christ. And so the reason why we talk about Abraham, yes, it's cool that he had a son at 100 years old. That's a huge feat. But the reason we really talk about Abraham is because his faith was rooted in what God was going to do. And the promise of what God said that he would do one day. And for us, we have the same opportunity to have the same type of faith. But our faith is rooted in looking back and having faith that God has done what he says that he has done. That through Christ, you're a new creation. That the old is gone, the new has come, and our faith in that is what saves us. Let me close by reading this. Look at verse 22, Romans 4. It says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The cross points to the fact that our God keeps his promises. The cross is a reminder that our God will do exactly what he says he will do. It might seem like a long shot, it might not be in our timing, but our God is exactly who he says he is. My hope is that we are a people of faith, people who are fully convinced that our God will do what he has promised to do. Let me pray. Father, you are good, you are steadfast, you are constant. And so often, um, those are just words that I read that describe you, but I don't actually believe them. Um, so often, those are words that uh, I know are supposed to describe you, but I, I honestly don't trust you enough to actually believe 
that those words describe you. And so, Father, it's not lost on me that maybe there are some brothers and sisters in the room today that are just at the end of their faith, that they're tired, they're, they're exhausted, they've been waiting on you for, for what feels like forever to fulfill a promise. God, my prayer is that you strengthen our faith. My prayer is that we are a people who trust even when it seems like a long shot, even when it seems like you're taking forever, that, that you're slow and that your slowness feels like you don't care for us, God. But God, today, will you change our hearts? Will you give us the eyes to see you in a new way? Give us the eyes to see you in a way where we trust you, where there is a sense of faith that only comes from you, Father. God, will you equip us to be people who trust in the midst of all things, knowing that you will fulfill everything that you have told us. We love you. In your son's name we pray.